How is everyone tonight? Everybody doing good? Deborah, good to see you back. Looking good and yeah, just the only problem is JR, right? So <laughs> all the pain she's got. All right. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's cold out, but man, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, and I like the time change. It's not dark. Isn't that nice? Yeah, kind of feels like we should be outside doing something, but here we are, you know. So <laughs> and we have a break next week. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you give us, because we had a discussion about this just a minute ago, and I'm not 100% sure. What are the two days where we have break? Well, let me make sure I don't say the wrong one. So next week, the 21st, we are not meeting. Next week, we are not meeting on March the 21st. Then we will meet that following week. The week after that, we will not meet, which is April the 4th. So we are off. Write it down somewhere. We are off on March 21st, and we are off on April 4th. March 21st, April 4th, we are not having back to the same. Any questions? Is that going to be confusing with the week off, week on, week off kind of thing? We'll make it work? I don't think so. Okay. We'll all get confused around Yeah. So. That's true. You know, I know, uh, I know a preacher that actually wrote in the bulletin, if you read this, let me know. And uh, it was in there for like six months and nobody said anything. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but bring it up in a meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't do that. Can't do that. There, it's the backbone of the church right there, you know. Okay. Well, let's, uh, no one will know what order we're doing things in, you know, even though we've kept it the same for... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Why is Jacob there? All right. Um, all right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump into it tonight. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father God, we're grateful tonight and thankful for the opportunity that we have to be together here and to continue our study here in the Book of Malachi. And we're, we're thankful for uh, Your Word uh, as a whole. Just that, uh, Father, we could be students of of, uh, of of You and Your Your history with. Uh, in the Bible with Israel and, and with, with your church and, and seeing how these things are um, relevant to us today as we continue to build on the foundation that has been given to us. And I pray that we're all uh, seekers of, of your truth and that, Father, that truth will prevail uh, always in our lives and uh, that we would be sincere enough and uh, strong enough and courageous enough to stand wholly on your word uh, even when others uh, seem to waver and uh, and, and, and compromise. Um, Father, I pray that the study here that we're going through uh, tonight will help strengthen all of us and challenge all of us to move forward and uh, take greater uh, uh, steps of faith in our life and, and, and stand more firmly on, uh, on the Word. And uh, Father, I pray that our churches would be strengthened and that starts with the individual. And so just uh, uh, be with us tonight here as we give our attention to you and, and we continue this study. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay, yeah, we're not, we're not going to get into chapter 3 tonight. So like I said, I, I do have this planned out. I, I, so far, we're on track, so we'll finish how we're supposed to finish. But we are going to spend a couple weeks before we get out of chapter 2. Um, so getting us back on track, you know, we went through, uh, you know, Malachi's broken up in the seven questions. Uh, we're coming close to the, the, the fourth question. We won't get there quite tonight. But uh, the first one was, in what way have you loved us? Uh, and so, you know, again, these are questions that the people are 
asking in response to God. And it's real important that we get that these questions aren't sincere questions. Uh, these are questions where they are trying to absolve themselves of spiritual responsibility. That's really all it boils down to. And so uh, they say, they ask God, well, you know, how have you loved us? And, you know, because they don't see that, understand that that's going to affect everything else, you know, that they're doing for God. That's, that's, uh, that's important that we understand that. And so we went through that, went to Obadiah, uh, looked at the, the, the connections there that he brings up in Malachi. In verse 6, they ask, in what way have we despised your name? Now, they're talking a good game, and this is why, why they're asking that question. Um, God says, well, you know, you've, you've, uh, you're bringing defiled food at my altar. You, you despise my name. You, you show me no honor. You show me no respect. But they still go call God their, their master and, and, uh, you know, and their father. And so, you know, they, they don't see it. And again, that's really important because God has to get them to see it before we can, we can move on and correct any of this. And so that's going to be... You know, the reason that God tackles things the way that he does. And there's some lessons in that about how we need to deal with people. Because, uh, you know, not seeing it happens all the time. You know, we, we are in that situation often where we can see it in others, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. And maybe we can see it in other congregations, but we don't see it going on right in our own congregation. And so, you know, sometimes we need, to, we need it brought to our attention in a way that kind of wakes us up and gets us looking a little more intently at really where things are. Um, verse 7, in what way have we defiled you? The, the people are bringing defiled animals. You know, uh, Jake's goat's getting more decrepit every week. Uh, see, it's a, it was a lamb before. We're on a, onto a goat now. And uh, it's got like one and a half horns and, you know, blind and three eyes and can't see out of the other. And um, So anyway, the people are bringing garbage. Exactly what God said he doesn't want. And the priests are accepting it. And so now they're saying, well, how have we done anything wrong? The people are bringing, bringing the, the defiled offerings. But it's the priest's job to decide, well, not to decide, but to enforce God's standards of what's acceptable and what's not. And so because they accept it, right, the, the sacrifice doesn't get from the worshiper to God without going through the priest. And so, um, so they are at fault here. And that's, that's really important to see that as well. Uh, we, we mentioned uh, every week here, sin manifests itself first in attitude and then in action. Uh, so important that the church understands this. You know, we got to get to the real root of the problems that we're dealing with, which is more than just what manifests itself in action. It's, it's the attitude, it's the mentality, it's the thought processes that lead to the sin, that, that those things have to be dealt with. And, you know, a whole lot of the New Testament is trying to get get off of that physical and into the inner person. And, uh, you know, and, and you can look at that, even the Sermon on the Mound, right? I mean, a whole lot of that is the law tells us don't commit murder. And then what does Jesus do with that? He drives it to the inner person, right? But I tell you, even if you have hatred in your heart, right? And so, you know, he says, well, don't, don't commit adultery. Well, that's a law. That's a physical law. Physical action has to, is required for that to take place. Jesus drives that into the inner man, right? Well, don't even look at a woman in lusts. And so, you know, all those things, he's taking the physical law, he's driving it into the character, into the inner person. And that's where the change has to take place. You know, he mentions in Matthew 21 that we're not going to cleanse the outside of the cup, but cleanse the inside of the cup. And that's the idea, right? And so I had a guy... Um, came to, to con our congregation a couple years ago. And, you know, he's a young guy, uh, a little younger than me, but, you know, he was uh, living with a girl and he had a... He had a, he had a uh, 
they, they, she was pregnant and he had a kid from another girl then uh, he didn't marry that one either, you know, and, and they were, you know, we're, we're trying to talk to him about all this. And I got one guy in the church that's just trying to convince him to get married. You need to get married. And he did need to get married. That, you know, that, that was uh, important for him to do. But I had to pull the other guy aside and tell him, hey, listen, they get married. He's still going to hell. Like he needs Christ, you know. And now, now part of that is fixing the sin and, and living together with this girl. And, you know, but you, sometimes we, we make that the emphasis and so it's like, well, if, if we got him married, everything's fine. Well, no, it's still not fine. You know, he's, he needs to be a Christian. You know, he needs to be found in Christ. He needs to repent and be immersed and, you know, and, and live in a way that's following Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we, we hack at the sin instead of the source. And, uh, and, you know, the New Testament's really pushing us to get, uh, get the emphasis where it belongs. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin by any stretch of the imagination. It means we look deeper than just what, what manifests itself in the flesh. And so, uh, anyway, and that's going to come up a little bit tonight in our lesson here as well. Uh, we brought up chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, real important here, we get to a point where God says, Oh, that there were any among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. And so we're at a point where Israel's doing the things that God told them to do, which is show up at the temple and to, to offer the, the sacrifices and those sorts of things. But because there is no honor and no respect and because they despise the Lord and they're tired of the service and God has become a burden to them, God is tired of it. And he, it's to a point where he says, it's time to shut this thing down. Uh, you're wasting my time and it's wasting your time. Okay, And we, we've talked a lot about that. When we don't get this right, it is a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of your time, and it's a waste of God's time. And so, you know, God will not accept Christianity any other way than what He set it up as, right? And so anything, anything that deviates from that path is, is a waste of everybody's time. And so that's kind of where they were here. We got into chapter 2. And, you know, again, addressing the priesthood, we start looking at the solution to the problem. Uh, they're going to have to listen uh, and we talked that that doesn't mean just make sure you're ear, in earshot of the word. It's, it's to actively listen, right? It's to listen intently. It's to really, really hear what's, what, what is being said. And then, and then if you're really listening, you'll take it to heart. And who can tell me what that means? We talked a lot about that. What does it mean to take it to heart? I'm sorry? Okay, to act upon what we heard. Yeah, any, anything else? I mean, that's right. I'm not saying they're wrong. I just, we don't want to, no, no group participation tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll run this thing. There we go. See, that happens to wake everybody up. Um, yeah, taking it heart means that they, they actually think it through. Like, what does this look like in my life? Right? If this is true, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my, you know, for my schedule? What does it mean for my priorities? What, is, what does it mean for my relationships? What does it mean for how I live my life? How is this affecting me if, if this is true? And what am I going to do about it? And we have got to get people to that point. Right? It is not a you know, I'm, I'm teaching a class on Sunday morning right now where we're going through um, some of the things, and, and Jake and I have talked about this too, that, that I go through with people, um, you know, who are interested in becoming a Christian. And because, you know, we, we've got to get off of this, 
they just need to get baptized. They, they need to be baptized, but they need to be Christians. They need to be committed to following Jesus Christ. And if you can't get them to take that to heart, what does it look like if I'm actually going to live my life like this is true and I believe it? You've, we have to get people in a situation where they look at that and how it affects their life and then make a decision on it. Otherwise, we're not really converting anybody. We're, we're just baptizing people and nothing changes, right? And so taking it to heart is, is really important. But when people take it to heart, they're, they're forced to make a choice. And what are the options? <laughs> take it or leave it. That's right. I mean, they're either going to accept it, and, and, and that's great. You know, that's exciting, and, and they receive it joyfully, or they are going to oppose it, and they're going to try to take you out with it. I mean, they never want to oppose it silently and to themselves. It's always, let's cause as much damage as we can and try to get as much people to agree with us. And, uh, you know, and so there's, there's some of that. But, you know, the alt- the, what's the ulterior? Is it that you just leave them not thinking it through? And then what good is it going to do them that way? It's not. And so, you know, you, you can't convince me after, after reading through the book of Malachi that, that God would prefer a bunch of lukewarm pew sitters over people that have actually taken it to the heart and even rejected it or accepted it. Like, th- that is far better. You know, when people are worried you may run them off, God would rather you do what's necessary to get them to think about what would cause them to run off than to, to sugarcoat it and make them stay. You see? And so, something to think about. All right, let's get on with this. Uh, so, in, in Malachi chapter 2, okay, we started talking last week. We, we spent some time in Numbers. We looked at Balaam and the things that transpired there that led to the sin of Peor. And I hope we kind of saw the bigger picture of that. Sometimes we look at that and say, well, what was the problem? Well, it was those Moabite women, and it's uh, intermarrying with these pagan women. or you know, that, But it, it's... it's that's part of it, right? But it's way bigger than that. Like what, what was actually, what was the temptation there for Israel? I'm sorry? Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a complete deviation from God's path altogether. You know, it's, it's to side with, these, with the Moabite women, was to side with their pagan idols. It was to join with them as a nation. And it was kind of, you know, our land, your land, our descendants, your descendants, our gods are your gods. And it's all the things that Israel was getting ready to cross into the promised land to take. What Balaam convinced Balak to do is offer them a substitute. Right? So here we have right at the edge of the promised land, Israel contemplating why, why should we go in and fight for the promised land when we can, we can have these women and their food and, and their lands and we, and we can have it without fighting. And, you know, and so it was, it, was a, it was a compromise. And so uh, that's why God was so um, zealous about how to deal with it. And, uh, and, and then who was the name of the priest that uh, stands out in that chapter. Oh, Phineas, right? Yeah, and so Phineas was a man of zeal. Uh, he was a man uh, that contended for the truth, that stood up for God, and stood up because of his reverence and his honor for God. And that's what it took to, to change things that day, okay? And so uh, let's, let's go here in Malachi chapter 2, and let's read, um, let's read, I've only got verse 6 up here. I want us to read verses 6 through 9. Which is, which is where we're going to get into today. So um, he says in verse 6, well, let's go back to verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, 
and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. So what God's going to do here, and, and it's, it's I, I, you know, for you preachers out there, there's a couple good sermons in this that, that lay itself out real nicely for you. Um, but God is going to rebuke the priests in Malachi's day by describing the Levites that he initially first made this covenant with. And, and of course, you know, Phineas would be, would be part of that. You know, Phineas is a priest that God put his stamp of approval on, right? Made this covenant of life and peace with, with Phineas and, 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 and the Levites there. But, but, the, but the point is, you know, he's going to explain that there's a way that a priest should act and he's going to validate the character of those in the beginning and, and then show them exactly how they failed to live up to that currently uh, to, to what's required of them. And there's a really important reason that God is doing this, okay? God doesn't just say, you, you, you guys are falling short and things should be different and here's how you've messed up. It, it's, it's, it's different than that. It's, it's that God actually brings up the fact that they're doing it wrong, but at one point, the Levites did it right. Now, why is that important for them to understand? Yeah, it shows them that it can be done. And I think, you know, sometimes I think in the church that we have, we have settled for whatever we've seen other churches do. Right? That that's become the state. Rather than looking at the Bible and saying, what, 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 what kind of potential do we actually have here? What, what could we accomplish? What kind of difference can we make? What do we see in the Bible happening? We look at the churches down the street and we say, well, what are they doing? Well, as long as we can keep up with them we're being pretty successful, right? And I think we, we limit ourselves because instead of comparing ourselves to God's standard in the Bible, we just compare ourselves to our neighbors or, you know, to, like you said, the congregations that we are familiar with and the ones, ones down the street or whatever. And, and this happens in two ways. Sometimes, you know, we, we look down the street and we say, well, at least we're not as bad as them, Right? Okay, well, that doesn't mean you're doing anything right, okay? <laughs> Not as bad as them is never a good standard to follow. And then sometimes we look at some churches down the road and we say, well, you know, as long as we're keeping up with them, we're doing okay. Them should never be the standard, right? The standard should always come from the Bible. And there's, a, there, there's you know, here's something to think about. It's like, what makes you so sure that they've got it right? Okay, and sometimes we do this. We think, well, you know, uh, we, we look, you know, I've seen, I've seen churches do this with doctrinal issues. We're trying to figure out uh, what's right and wrong. And so we'll reach out to some, well, this guy's a Church of Christ guy. What does he say? Well, he says it's okay. So that means it's okay. Is that all right? Should that be our standard? No. Well, here's a professor from a college that's supposed to be a Church of Christ guy. Let's ask him what to do. Is that good enough, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so here, you know, what, what makes them right? You know, and, 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 then, and then, you know, here's the, I know guys that are so insecure about standing on the Word of God 
uh, and, and I, don't, I don't know where this comes from. Like we, we, read in the, we read in the Bible like this happens you know, to Jesus all the time. People are impressed with his preaching, but then comes the, comes the question, well, what are his qualifications? Mm. <laughs> what college did Jesus come from, right? What great, great uh, scholar taught Jesus? And oh, he's just the carpenter's son? We know his brothers and his sisters. So we can dismiss him now. We don't have to listen to it. So, so it's like we think as long as you've got a couple degrees hanging behind your wall and you know, you, you're wearing a sweater vest and a tie, like that guy knows what he's doing. What makes you so sure? That should never be the standard. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you can't you know, bend somebody's ear a little bit and see what other people are thinking. You know, we, 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 we can help each other grow with that, but the standard has to all always come back to God and his word and so God's not saying hey you know there's a there's there's a, you know 20 years ago there were some guys that had this going on better than you did right now God takes them right back to the beginning right back to the source and says this is what it's supposed to look like right this is the kind of priesthood that I made a covenant with you know this is what I expect from you all and it, it's important for two reasons. One, because again, the standard comes back from, from the source. But two, because they need to understand that at one point, somebody did it. Somebody did it. Okay? And, and it's like, well, why can't, we, why can't we get there with things? You know, evangelism. We can look at the Bible. It happened. And it, and it was successful. And it worked. How many soul winners we got in the church today? Most congregations couldn't point out a soul winner. We got anybody that's actually going out, holding Bible studies, trying to change people's mind, trying to bring people in, not just saying, come to church with me, come to church with me, but really sitting down one-on-one -on -one with the Bible, trying to change people's minds. Soul winning. Going out to the world, not inviting the world here, but going out to the world and trying to create uh, a discipleship, right? People who are interested in following Jesus, not just interested in getting baptized, but interested in following Jesus. You follow Jesus to the baptistry, but then you follow him into the newness of life too. You know, the whole process. And it's like, we, we see how it works. And today it's like, we don't think it can work unless we have the right resources. We have the big enough building. We have enough committees. We have enough programs. Show me any of that in the Bible. And see, so, so that's the problem with the, with the, the modern church thing is we look, at, we look at big churches and we look at churches with four or five hundred or four or five thousand people and we make that the standard. We're getting further and further from the source, right? And so God is reminding them at some point we had this thing working right, right? Brings them back to the source. And so the priests that I made a covenant with, this is what they were like. This is what we expect. Now, one thing we hear, you know, sometimes it's easy to dismiss God's expectations and standards because we'll, we'll look around and we say, okay, well, I see what God expects, but it's not like anyone's really going to live up to that. Okay, you hear that today? You know, I see what God wants from us, but come on, guys, we're, we're all just human, right? We can't really, uh, can't really live up to that. You know, I, I certainly don't see anybody else here, you know, living that way, but being that radical with their faith, you know. Uh, you know, it, it's a good idea to aspire to, but it's not really, you know, it's just a pipe dream, you know. It's, 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 uh, it can't really be a reality in our life. Let, let's, let's look back here. Remember this in Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, 
so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You know, we, we, we could talk about this all night. We're not going to, but there's no way to get around this. Jesus had to be made like us in every possible way. Which means that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be human, to be man, right? He understands the weaknesses and the limitations of living in the flesh. And yet, being fully aware of that, he still gives us the commands that he gives us. And there still are the expectations that he has for us in the church. Now, it would be cruel for me as a father to, to, to have expectations for my nine-year-old that a nine-year-old could, ever, could never meet, right? I mean, what would that do to a child? Oh, just discourage him, discourage, he'd get resentful. You know, he'd grow up always looking for approval from everybody. I mean, it's, you, know, you, you could see that problems could aspire from that. Do you think it would be any different from God to look at us and say, here's what I expect, and he's just up there laughing because he knows we can't do it? Being made like us in all ways, fully aware of what we're capable of, Jesus explained what he expected of us. And so, we have to learn to stop justifying sin, compromise, and immature spirituality because Jesus was quite aware of what we were capable of. I, you know, I think back to Moses, right, when God calls Moses in Exodus 4 to, to, to be the mouthpiece before Pharaoh. And what does Moses say? Yeah, yeah, I'm slow in speech. You know, which is ironic because Stephen says he was, he was educated, you know, to, to, you know, in all the ways. Anyway, he, he was probably the best speaker, you know, that you could have, uh, could have brought forward. But God says, you know, I'm not stupid. I made your mouth and I know what you're capable. I wouldn't ask you to do this if you couldn't do it. And I think that God's looking at the church and saying, man, I've not asked you guys to do anything that you can't do. And, and we hold on to verses like, well, I can do all things, right? <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me, but I can't make it to Bible study this week. You know? I can't tell my neighbor about Jesus. Boy, that's too uncomfortable. You know? Now, I, I, can't, I can't repent and let go of, of, uh, of, of, of the things in my life that I want over, over my relationship with Jesus. You know, so I can do all things through Christ, but I can't do those things? See? It's the little things. It's the daily things. So anyway... I bring this up because it's very possible that, that the priests in Malachi's day are sitting back thinking, you know what, it's been, you know, it's possible that it's been bad for so long that there's not a single one of them that can, can even think of it being any different than just bad and compromised. Okay? And I, I think there's congregations that end up in that way. You know, there's things where we've compromised 50, 60 years ago and it's been going, it's been compromised for so long that now it's like, well, I can't, I can't even fathom some way for this to change. And I've talked to preachers and that, that's really how they feel about some things. I've, I've met preachers who know what the right thing to do is, but it's not being practiced in their congregation because they know no one will go for it because it's been going wrong for so long. What do you think of that? Shouldn't be that way. And if you're not... A fear of God is the solution for fear of men. And if you don't fear God enough to stand up and address what needs to be addressed, maybe you shouldn't be in that position. 
God is going to lay out a profile of a priest here. And of course, you know, we, we could say that he's kind of piggybacking off of this idea of Phineas, which would have came to mind when he mentions that covenant of, of life and peace, um, you know, from Numbers 25. But what we're going to look at here is that the, the priest that God is looking for in Malachi's day is a priest that understands the importance of God's honor. Well, well where's that at in the, in the priests of Malachi's day? God calls them out in chapter... Well, boy, we're really not talkative tonight. <laughs> uh, chapter 1, right? Uh, he calls them out and says, you know, you call me Father, you call me Master, where's my honor? Where's, they don't respect God. They despise His name. They're talking bad about Him, right? They're talking bad about their service to God. And so, they don't have any honor for God, no fear of God. That God's looking for a man of action, right? Not just someone who will talk, but someone who will do something. And now, they talk a good game, Right? But, they're, but they're not following through. There's a disconnect between what they're saying and, and their performance. Okay, God is looking for a man who has a desire to please the Lord, not a people pleaser. Okay? Again, you know, if, if here comes Jake bringing down his decrepit goat thing uh, you know, to the altar, and then what am I, I've got to decide, am I going to send Jake home? Am I going to tell Jake, my, you know, my, my friend that I respect, that man, you can't, I can't accept this? You know, and so, you know, if, if I care more about my relationship with Jake than I do my relationship with God, I'll compromise. I'll, I'll tell Jake this is okay. You know, but if I care more about God, if I'm, if I'm not a people pleaser, right? And Paul said in Galatians that if I was still seeking uh, to, to impress men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of God, right? And so that's, that's the idea. So a fear, a healthy fear of God, that's the solution for a fear of man. And so God's looking for somebody whose desire is to please the Lord over the people. And he's looking for a contender for the truth, okay? And so that's, uh, that's the kind of priest that he needs. And, it's, and, and you know, keep in mind, I, I think this is really cool because... Throughout, you know, especially the tabernacle class that we were in, we brought up multiple times that the requirement to be a priest had nothing to do with spirituality, had nothing to do with character. It had everything to do with physical requirements. That, And because of that, it allowed for corruption in the priesthood. Because you could be a pretty immoral and wicked and selfish and, and sinful person, but still meet every lawful requirement that God gave to be a priest. And we see that even with Eli. Eli's sons were worthless, but they, they fit the bill, right? They, they, were, they were priests, okay? And, and they, 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 they met the requirements. And so it's interesting here that Malachi is shifting. You know, what we're seeing is we're seeing, we're seeing the, the, the holes in, in a system of physical law, right? Because it, it doesn't change people on the inside. It gets people, you know, and we've talked a bit about this from time to time. You know, law and physical rules, what they're good at is they can get everyone to conform their behavior for a period of time. So if, if that's your goal, right, is to get everyone to come together and conform their behavior while they're together, then you can implement some rules. And so, so here's a, just a, you know, we could, we could put a dress code up for next, next Tuesday's class, which we won't be here next Tuesday. Uh, but we could say there's a dress code, okay? And so, uh, I don't know, everyone has to wear a yellow shirt, okay? We see several, couple yellow shirts here tonight. Well, anyway, you know, chances are, you know, you'll either have people show up in a yellow shirt or not show up at all. 
but we could get everyone to conform to that behavior, right? We could say, uh, and we do this, uh, you know, in, in church buildings, we, sometimes we say no food or beverage uh, in the auditorium, and, and people will, will keep their, their snacks and stuff out of the auditorium. We can say to the kids, you can't run in the auditorium. Usually people call it a sanctuary, but we know better than that. Uh, so, so, and so you can get people to conform their behavior for a short time, okay? Uh, law does a good job at changing behavior, but it's a horrible, horrible at changing character, okay? Because character is, is different from your behavior. Character is actually who you are. And so, you know, if, if, uh, if you know, I can remember being in school and I knew, I knew better and so did everybody else that, you, you know, there's certain language you can't use in front of a school teacher, okay? That didn't mean that that language wasn't being used on the playground when the school teacher wasn't around, you see? You know, and so, you know, there's, there's rules that people can conform to, you know, for a short time when they're being enforced and being watched, but when nobody's watching, what you see is their character, okay? And so rules, physical rules, you can conform to the behavior, but if you want to affect character, you need more than that. And so the Old Testament law did a good job at getting people to conform to the rigid physical observance of the rules but it didn't do so good at changing the character in the inside of the person and so you could show up at the temple and have no respect for God right you could show up and never miss a holy day or a sabbath day or or you could go to all of the solemn festivals and we went through those scriptures in the introduction to this class where God calls them out in these these practices and say even though you're doing all these things I am sick of it because it your heart's not there right your character's not right right the inner part of you isn't isn't conforming to this it's not you're not allowing it to affect you and so it's interesting that God is is starting to 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 bring this out here in Malachi because we know once we get into Matthew Mark Luke and John that's all that it's about Right? You guys have heard the rules. Now let's drive that to the inner person. Right? Let's drive that deep within you. Let's allow faith to change who you are rather than laws to just change what you do. You see? And so anyway, we're, we're, we're moving a bit into that direction, which is, I think, interesting. All right. We are not getting across this very fast tonight. And that's, that's Jake's fault. Okay, Malachi chapter 2, verse 6, uh, we see three um, things, three attributes that are brought up about the behavior of the priest that God's looking for. Uh, he says, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. And so we have uh, God is addressing what he says, he's addressing how he walks, and he's also addressing what the result of that is or what he accomplishes or what he does. Okay, and so those are the things. So let's, let's kind of start here with, uh, with what, what he says. The first part is true instruction was in his mouth. Okay, and so that's, that's what God's looking for. They spoke true instruction. Okay, now... As opposed to what? False instruction, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, here, here's what I see a lot today uh, in the brotherhood is we don't necessarily have false instruction. We just have very uh, gray area instruction, right? Where, where it seems like we're just not willing to really stand on anything. And so we just kind of throw it out there like, well, yeah, baptism's important and necessary for salvation, 
but then we, we end up finding a bunch of gray area where it's not really that important sometimes in some situations and you know yeah this is how the church ought to be set up but then we find a whole bunch of gray area where well unless this is the you know we find a bunch of loopholes and things you know a lot of a lot of times we'll be able to look at the scripture and say this is what it says and this is where God's standard is but then like I said we end up finding a lot of gray area a lot of a lot of places where maybe that doesn't imply as much as we think it should and uh, and that's a problem and so you know there, there's a difference between true and direct instruction and just speaking you know you don't have to speak a lie to not necessarily speak the truth okay and you know when we 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 train up preachers there in the bible college that's one of the things we we try to get out of the gate right away you know that you can stand up and never tell a lie and also never preach anything that matters okay and what what good is that you're wasting everybody's time okay and so you have to you have to hit on instruction that matters true instruction has to be in your mouth and so you know they're not you know here's the thing you know in the church of christ sometimes what we do is we'll, we'll get we'll get get preachers that can get in here and we can really just you know pound the pulpit on all those denominations out there and we can talk about the sinner's prayer and the altar calls and we get a bunch of amens and that's right and that's the way it is but how much does that impact you personally am i stepping on your toes when i say don't go to an altar call tonight no. So it's easy to, to badmouth the, the, those things that are going on. And I can say that and not speak anything wrong. Okay. But how about we talk about things that are actually relevant to the crowd sitting here tonight that are going to impact your life today and tomorrow. You know, not that we don't need to talk about doctrinal things and, and false teachings that are around. But, you know, I, I think we know that baptism is for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think we know that the, the sinner's prayer is not going to work and the altar call is not biblical. So let's talk about the real issues that are affecting your day-to-day -day lives right now. And most, I, I know preachers that are afraid to do that. Why? Oh, you're going to hurt someone's feelings, you know? You, and, you know, and anyway, so we don't really like to do that. So anyway, uh, so, so the preacher may only speak the things that people want to hear, okay? Or you may just kind of sugarcoat things or compromise things to where you won't actually pick a side, okay? And so that, that happens a lot too. God needs people who will speak true instruction, direct, plain, bold instruction from God's Word. Now, what do we end up having today is uh, we get a lot of this here today. Paul told Timothy to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And by the way, I, I don't see any way around this. Preach the word in season and out of season. What does that mean? Yeah, when people like it, when people don't like it, when people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it, when it's easy, when it's hard, when it's convenient, when you've got a crowd, when nobody shows up. Uh, you all ever heard, I hear this all the time, you, you know, you have a, a Bible study on a Wednesday night and like two people come and, uh, you know, so one of the guys will tell you, you know, uh, I always feed my cows, but, I, you know, if only two of them show up, I don't feed them all the hay. You know, we're going to go ahead and talk about whatever we're going to have to talk about tonight. So two cows show up. I'm still going to give all the hay, okay? <laughs> so, um, but, but anyway, you, you preach it, okay? You preach it even if you're the only one in the building. There have been times in my life where I was alone in the church building on a Sunday night, and I went ahead and preached my lesson. Nobody else came, okay? 
That's not, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing it because it's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not going to let, uh, you know, the, 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 the popular opinion of everybody else uh, dictate to me where I'm going to stand on these things, okay? Now, it doesn't happen a lot, but it has happened where I've been the only person there, okay? And so anyway, you preach it in season and out of season. And then what does that have to, it has to entail? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, if you're not doing those things, I don't know that it's preaching, Timothy was told to preach the word and it needs to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You need to have patience and instruction in that. But if it doesn't do those things, I don't know that it's preaching. But he says the time's going to come when they won't endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and they'll turn away their ears from the truth and they'll turn aside to myths. Okay, And so, guys, we're there right now for sure. Now, we know the Scripture. We, we've talked about the Scripture. I'm sure Jake's talked about the Scripture. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that it's easier to be in this situation where we're just going to heap up to ourselves teachers in accordance with our own desires? Is it easier to do that today or in Malachi's day? What do you think? You think today? Same? People don't change? Who thinks it's easier today? Okay, I'm curious. Why do you think that is? The what? You see it today? Sure. Seems like these days Fire and fire as soon as they're yep. a little unhappy with methods and things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. You, you had something there. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? Because, you know, we tell, we tell young, young men all the time, there's a need for preachers out there. Well, if you get around some of these young men that want to preach, you're going to find out that one of the problems is finding them a place to go preach. Isn't that wild? You know, but it's, it's, it's like, well, if you're going to stand on the truth, okay, finding a place that wants someone to actually preach the Word of God and do that job is, is hard to find. Okay, and so what we end up with is, well, you know, we'll have a congregation that decides they don't really want that, but they've, they've got something else in mind. And then, you know, people will, will gravitate toward that. They'll take the job. They'll give the people what they want, right? And then, you know, it, 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 that cycle just keeps going and going and going. And so if you've got a young man that's, that's willing to take a stand and you have congregations that don't want that, boy, it's, uh, it's hard to get that turned around. Yeah, so... You hole on speed dial. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that I've stayed where I am for 15 years. <laughs> so, you know, how long have you been where you're at? 57. Almost got me beat. No, I'm <laughs> so, must be a good congregation, though, for to stay. I mean, that's a long time to be playing. Where have you, how long have you been here? Seven and a half. That's, that's about three years more than most preachers make at most places. So, yeah. So, we're about ready to retire, you and I. <laughs> uh, you've been around for you're ready to quit that's yeah 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 that's it's time for yeah i've seen i've seen places that have revolving doors and you know about every six months you know and but it's it's hard to get someone who's going to stand for the word of god it's hard to find if you're that man to find a congregation that wants that and so that's difficult um but 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 how how easy do you think it would have been Back in Malachi's day, you think it, you think it would have been harder to do this? 
longer you're doing it wrong makes it a whole lot harder to get get right well here's it well, you know there's something else that we have that so so i agree this happens ever, all the time today what it blows my mind that it happens at all to be honest with you like it shouldn't happen we shouldn't we, this shouldn't even be a problem we shouldn't have you know, 5,000 denominational churches all teaching different things and claiming it all comes from the same book. You know, we shouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, preachers standing up preaching different, you know, and, and here's why. Everybody's got a Bible. Raise your hand if you've got more than one. That's what I thought. Okay, we have Bibles. We got heaps of Bibles. How is it that people are lying to people and no one's, everyone's still buying into it when we can all look at the Scriptures and read it for ourselves? Most, most people don't read it. Yeah, but in Malachi's day, did they, I mean, everybody have a Bible? Yeah, so as, as much as it's happening today, that was kind of my point, is that, I mean, could you imagine how easy it is to pull one over on everybody in Malachi's day? You know, so, so let's think about this. In Malachi's day, how dependent were the people on a priest that was going to stand on the Word of God? Oh, so, it was so, so important and so necessary. Okay, now, you know, and so, like I said, you've got to remember, we're dealing with a time where you couldn't go home and pick up, you know, you know Gideon didn't leave his Bibles in the hotels, and, you know, uh, none of that stuff was going on today. And so, you know, you go, you, you had to learn it from somebody, and so it's easy, you, you could get away with not speaking true instruction. And, and again, there's a lesson to that, too, because the more ignorant we leave our congregations, the easier it is for the guy in the pulpit to get away with not speaking true instruction. Okay, I don't think for a second that the ignorance of most of our congregations is not intentional. Okay, I, I absolutely think that that's the plan in a lot of places. Uh, but in Malachi's day, for sure, uh, it would have been very easy to mislead people, right? To say, well, God's okay with this, and God's okay with this too, and, and to compromise a little bit here and there. And so, um, and so, so here's a question. You know, true instruction was in his mouth. That's, that's what God's looking for. Who is dependent on this guy to do that job. Okay? Well, well who, who needs him to, to, to have true instruction in his mouth? Okay, all the people. Okay, who else is depending on him? God is. Okay, and so when he does not stand on the truth, he's not just letting the people down. He's letting God down because God has set it up to where true instruction is supposed to be on his mouth. You see, and so... God needs to get his message to the people and the people need to hear God's message. And so both God and the people are depending on this guy. And, um, you know, today, you know, it's, it's, it's well, look, let's look at it this way. How is God planning to save the world? Well, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God's well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Okay? Who is depending on Christians sharing the gospel God and and the world okay so so when the Christian isn't being evangelistic who are we letting down yeah we're letting down the world who is lost and dying and heading to the devil's hell for all eternity and we're letting God down who has put that responsibility on our shoulders see so who's going to preach it you know, God, God's well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Who's going to preach it? Preachers. <laughs> yeah. It's got to, you, know, you think the world's going to do it? No, the world's not going to do it. See? 
You think, well, is God going to do it? But through us. That's it. You know, and we've talked about that. This is the plan. Guys, this is the plan to save the world right here. You know, the message preached. And if we don't preach it, nothing happens. Okay, there, there's no example in the Bible where God breaks this plan and, and, and throws a curveball in the mix. I mean, every, every account of somebody becoming a Christian happens because another Christian opens their mouth and shares it with them. Everyone. There's no account where God pulls someone off to the side and says, I need you to be baptized. I need you to repent and be baptized right now so that you can be a Christian. Never happens. Now, Jesus told them that that's the plan, was to, to, that you need to believe and be baptized to be saved. But, but everybody that becomes a Christian, it starts with some other Christian sharing the God. And again, you know, we talked about Saul, you know, Paul there on the road to Damascus, you know, cries out to the Lord, what should I do? And the Lord doesn't say, repent and be baptized, does he? What does he say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's someone's going to tell you what you must do. Okay, and because that's the plan. It's always been the plan. And so, you know... <clears throat> So the world is depending on us. God is no longer sending out prophets and visions and angels. You know, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 gets us, you know, tells us that. God is sending you, right? That he has sent the Christian, every Christian, not just the preachers. He sends every Christian out into the world to go and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to continue teaching them always commanded. He's charged us with the message. He's given us teachers and preachers and, 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 uh, and, and, and leaders to help equip us uh, to get us ready for that service, right? He's given you fellowship that we can be motivated and provoked and challenged to go out to, to facilitate that service. But we have to, got to realize that there's no backup plan. If we choose not to be evangelistic, if we choose to not have true instruction on our mouth, and I'm not talking from the pulpit, I'm talking in our lives, with our neighbors, with our families, with our children, with our spouses, all the way around. If, if we choose not to do that, there is no backup plan. Right? And so we let God down, and we let those around us down. Okay. He says unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Okay? Well, if unrighteousness is on his lips, where else is it? It's in his heart, guys. Yeah. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? Come from the heart. And it's those that defile him. You like the graphic? I need more pictures. Really? Well, he's got good teeth, though. So... <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't have it up. Uh, James chapter 3 says, uh, with it in verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come uh, both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. So the idea is that the same well is not bringing forth both uh, fresh and salt water. The same well is not producing sound teaching and unrighteousness out of their mouth. Doesn't happen. I had a guy, I had a young guy uh, in my congregation a couple years ago and he, you know, he'd been coming by himself for quite some time and we had studied and, you know, he was, he's, he was in high school and there was a, there was a, a friend of his, uh, they had, they were a part of some, I, I never did quite 
figure out what kind of group that they were a part of, but they had some very strange religious ideas. Um, you know, I thought they were Seventh-day Adventists for a while. Uh, I don't think they were, but they followed the feast days and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. And, but anyway, the point was the, the dad's, you know, in and out of jail with DUIs. You know, the, the kids are smoking pot. They're all cussing around the dinner table, but they're trying to instruct this kid on the Bible. And so, you know, he comes to me and he's like, I don't even know what to do with this. I said, well, listen, I said, look at the fruit of what they're doing. I said, is what they believe, is it producing a Christ-like, you know, character in their lives? Well, no. I said, well, you judge a tree by its fruit, right? And so, you know, if what they believe is producing all of that, maybe they're, what they believe is the problem. You know, maybe they don't know the truth, you know? And that made a lot of sense to him. Makes a lot of sense to me too. And so, you know, I, I can't stand up on a Sunday and, 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 and try to preach the truth if the rest of the week unrighteousness is coming out of my mouth, right? No one's going to believe me. No one's going to care what I have to say. And it's the same thing for you all. It's, it's not just the guy in the pulpit. If I'm at work Monday through Friday and, and you know, my coworkers hear me cussing out some customer or, or someone I'm working with, I can't turn around that same day and sit down and share the gospel with them, right? How effective are you going to be there? You're absolutely not, right? And so, you know, for the priest to be effective, right, it's not just true instruction, but, you know, you, you can't have this other coming out of the same mouth, right? And so that's, that's real important. And then, boy, we're, we're running out of time on me. Um, he says, uh, he walked with me in peace and um, uprightness, okay? And so let's talk about how he walked. What does it mean to walk in peace and uprightness? Um, it, it's the idea here, to walk with God, that's, that's first. So they were walking with God in peace and uprightness. So peace as opposed to what? We just talked about this last week, I think, or the week before, as opposed to war, right? And so we know in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the religious leaders are at war with God, you know? And so you don't want to be at war with the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit strives against sin. You, you, you want the Holy Spirit as an ally, not an enemy. You see what I mean? You, you want to walk with God in peace, not be at war with Him, okay? And so the priests are going to have to, they're, gonna, they're, they're supposed to walk with God, and they're supposed to walk with peace, and uprightness. But the idea of walking with God is this idea that you have this union, this togetherness. You know, we're going, you know, I, if, if, if Jake and I were going to, we're going to, I shouldn't, I was going to say, if Jake and I were going to walk down the aisle, and that gives different implications all. But, okay, if we're going to walk down this path together, okay, <laughs> I, I, should I repent or? Uh, okay. So if, but if Jake and I were going to walk toward the back of the building, okay, um, you know, we're not walking together if I'm walking that way and he's walking that way, you see. So to walk with somebody, you have to be going the same place, going in the same direction, right? So there's that sense of union and togetherness, okay? That's the idea. And so walking with someone means you're doing the same thing, right? You're accomplishing the same task. You're working on the same things. Let's, let's look here in Acts 4.13. It says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I, I love this text. Um, when Jesus found these guys, what were they? I always say they're like redneck fishermen, though. They're from Galilee. I know that's north, not necessarily south, but, you know, the Galilean uh, Jews had an accent, 
right? And so you could, you could identify them by the way that they talked. And they were usually, you know, they, they, they were kind of looked down upon by the, by the, the, the Judean, you know, the, 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 the native Jews. Yeah, this big city fishermen there. Um, you know, the, but these guys are hardworking, blue-collar people. You know, and so, but but that's they they weren't ex- necessarily exceptionally educated. You know, uh, they were just they were they were just common people. Three years with Jesus, and they are brought before a very powerful and intimidating group of people, people of authority who are trying to intimidate them so that they can throw them in jail. And when everybody looks at them, what do they recognize? Yeah, these guys have been with Jesus. Okay, now why would they, you know? It, it's not, it's not because they told them that they were with Jesus, right? It's not that they they heard that these guys were with Jesus. They rec- they didn't recognize it because they actually saw them with Jesus either. They recognized it because of how they acted, specifically in how they spoke. And here's another account where you know um, these guys were speaking plainly. Okay, that's the idea, right? They were they were not. They're not scared of what they're saying. They're not ashamed of it. They're not, they're not trying to sell it to anybody, right? They're just speaking plainly the truth. And that's how Jesus spoke. That's why everyone was always so impressed with his teaching as one that spoke with authority. But these disciples, you think about how this worked. Three years, and what are they doing? They're, they're not just listening to Jesus. They're seeing how Jesus treats people. They're seeing how Jesus interacts with with others they're seeing how jesus deals with authority they're seeing how jesus loves people and shows compassion they see how jesus you know uh spoke and what was important to him and how he how he and so they learn to imitate him by walking with him and that's that guys that's how life works right we learn so much from imitation and so the question is when people you know you know a crowd observed peter and john and recognized they spent they spent time with jesus I, I didn't have, I don't have that right, right? That they had, time's missing. Okay, thank, yeah, got it. Okay, but what, what do people see when they observe you, though? Okay, because people are observing you all the time. They observe you at work, they, they observe you at church, they observe you, you know, all the time. What, what do they see when they see you? How do you deal with road rage? Okay, <laughs> how do you deal when, with the, the waitress when they get your, your food wrong? Okay, how, how do you deal uh, with, with being impatient with the people you're working with, right? How, 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 do, you, how do they see you deal with, with your kids when your kids are acting up? You know, how do they see you uh, when, when it comes to, to the priority of, of the church meeting and, and the things that are taking place there? How do they see you when a need uh, shows itself? Do they see that you rise to meet the need or do you turn the other way because it's not your problem? You know, all of these things. What do people see when they observe you? And they are observing you. Not, no one's an island, right? Your life is being lived out in the open, right? And people are watching you. And so here's the thing. This is what we want people to see. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The world won't see this in your life because you go to church. That's not enough. They won't see this in your life because you carry a Bible under your hand and you've got a Jesus fish on your car and you listen to Christian music. That's not what they're looking for either. Okay? How are people going to see this? Sorry, what was that? Yeah, you have to actually live like the life you have is being lived in faith for Him. Right? Crucified 
to Jesus Christ. That's the idea, right? You, you walk with God. You're crucified with him. That's the only way people are going to see this. Let's take a break. We don't, well, I'm running out of time. Okay, um, so here's, here's the last part of this. Um, boy, we didn't get really where I wanted to. Uh, so true instructions in his mouth. Unrighteousness is not on his lips. Uh, he walks with God in peace and uprightness. But this part here, and he turned many back from iniquity. Okay, this is such a neat idea. It's, we see what the, the priest said. We see how they walked. And now we see what the result of that is. And, you know, what did they do? Well, they were turning people back from iniquity. And I, I really want you to pay attention to this. Who does God give the credit to for that? The priests, they turn people back from their iniquity. Reason I ask that is I think it's worth noting that God's not taking the credit. God doesn't say that God turned these people back from iniquity, that these priests did. And so think about this. God gave a message and he gave them the task and then the priest has to make a decision about that. Okay, and, and so they've got to take responsibility to see that through even if that's difficult and even if people don't like that and if it's uncomfortable and there's conflict and all of those sorts of things are at stake, right? But here's the thing. These, these priests that God initially made this covenant with were that kind of person and because of that, God remembers it and takes note of it even now. God's remembering that. Right, And so because of the actions of these individuals, people who at some point were estranged from God were brought back into the fold. Now how big of a deal is that? Oh, it's such a huge deal. Because here's the thing. We have far more starters than we have finishers in the church. Every congregation I've ever been a part of, there are empty seats all over that place where everyone can look around and say, I remember who used to sit there and who used to sit there and who used to sit there. You know, I remember the people that came in and were sitting back there and say, you know, the, every congregation is that. You could, you could run a where are they now special in every congregation because people are, are, are all the time leaving. And, and we can talk about who's at fault for that and why are they leaving and why did they get upset and all of those sorts of things. But, but here's the other thing. There's also people that have not left the building that have walked away from God right and they're in the same boat as the ones that left the building right and so he is saying that there are people these priests have the have the opportunity and the potential to actually bring people back to God to turn them away from the sin that is tearing apart their lives and God remembers that these guys did that and he gives them uh, they, he gives them the credit and so something to think about in order to turn people back at some point, they have to turn away. And, and it happened all throughout the Old Testament. It happened all throughout the early church. We would be so naive as to act like it's not happening right now. And so people turn away from God. Is God going to turn them back around and put them back on the right path? Okay, think about the when people turn away from God. Is God going to turn them back to the right path? Or has God left that responsibility to you and I? Now, we, we don't act that way, though, do we? We act like once they turn away, away from God, once they, they turn back to sin, once they, once they leave the congregation, we act like, well, they're, only in, they're in God's hands now. I, I, we even say things like that. We'll pray for them. 
God bring them back. Is God going to bring them back? Yeah, we have to bring them back. It is our responsibility. And uh, who cares who's responsible? If we could actually make a difference, why wouldn't we be excited to make a difference? I mean, it's, it shouldn't be about whose job is it to bring them back. If, if we could, by our speech and by our actions and by having genuine fellowship with people and being close enough to people to be able to pull them back when they're falling away, I mean, if we could actually do that, why, why wouldn't we try? I can remember back when I was in Bible college, we were studying there in Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 6, and we, we hit this verse here. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is, is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so, you know, we were studying this out in school, and, I, and you know, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like 18 years old, and you know, and, and, and we're talking about what this ought to look like, and it's just, it's really bothering me that I've never seen this. You know, that this is not actually being practiced in the church. Like, we don't really take responsibility for people and are not accountable for people and to a people when they start to fall away or when they start going into sin. And, you know, matter of fact, we can't even bring it up. I mean, heaven forbid we actually call someone out and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. Like we won't even we won't even do that, and so at the at the time we're sitting we're studying this, and and I was having I had a group of people that I was studying with, and uh, and 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 anyway we had this Bible study going on uh, down in Covington in Cincinnati, and I was new to that area, but we had uh, rented a little house, um, you know, over by the Northern Kentucky University, and we were having a Bible study in the garage there, and kind of a uh, you know, uh, having a church service on Sunday morning. We, we had, you know, uh, there when we started, we, had, we ended up having about 30 people showing up for it for a while. And it kind of went down to about 20, 18, something like that for a bit. But anyway, we were having Bible studies with lost people and converting people and baptizing people and, and then, you know, and then encouraging them to go out and find other people to study with. And so we really, uh, we spent a lot of times uh, at that point at, uh, at uh, what was the restaurant? Perkins? There was a Perkins over there by Northern Kentucky University. And we had, they basically left the back room open for us uh, about three nights a week because we would go in and have Bible studies back there. And so they'd come, they'd give us food and coffee, whatever, and then they would leave us alone for the rest of the night. And we would, that's how we, you know, I wasn't married, so I wasn't going to like sit down with, you know, a woman or a married couple by myself and you know so it was better to do it in a public place at the time anyway we had a we had an individual that we were studying with and they we they were converted and they, they became christians we baptized this guy and, and this girl and and then about three months later they move in with each other and they're not married okay now they were already christians and they weren't living together and now they become christians and so anyway so this is a problem and i'm studying this here in school and i remember thinking man you know what would it be like if people actually did this and so we called up the group and I said, hey, you know, I'm concerned about them. This isn't about picking on them. This isn't about judging them. This isn't about saying you guys need to, st-. you know, this is about genuine concern. And we, we all went to the apartment that they got together. And like I said, there's about 18 of us. We knocked on the door, asked if we could all come in. We all sat down with them, uh, told them how much we loved them and told them I was very, very concerned that one day we're going to end up being in heaven and, and they're not going to be there with us. And that broke my heart, you know. And we all talked to them about it and tried to help them find some solutions. You know, they're like, well, I don't know where she was going to go or where he was going to go. And anyway, we worked it out. Uh, they, they decided to no longer live together, you know, but they, they were still in a relationship together. They were back at church with us. And, but it took people that actually cared about them and knew them 
going to them and, and with patience and, and, you know, in love and confronting the iniquity that they were in, and they, they turned back from it. And I thought, well, that, that really wasn't that hard. Why don't we see more of that? I mean, why is it that if, if I didn't show up Sunday morning that I didn't have, you know, 50 people knocking on my door Sunday afternoon making sure that I'm not dead uh, or more concerning that I, would, I, that I was just being unfaithful that morning? You know, wh- why aren't we concerned when we find out that somebody is caught in, in trespass and iniquity and sin? Why aren't we getting involved in their life in a way where we can really be... Account- and here's the thing. Don't think for a second that you can just go and talk to somebody about their sin if you don't actually talk to them about anything else in their life. You, you have to actually care about that person and be involved in that person's life. Real, genuine fellowship is necessary. But if we can get there, there's a level of accountability that could go a long way with, with, with people staying in the church and being faithful to the Lord. And as long as that accountability doesn't exist, right? I mean, who's responsible here? Who's, who's going to restore such a one in, in the spirit of gentleness? God going to do it? The same, you know, again, God's not going to evangelize these people. God's not going to turn them back from iniquity either. See, we're, we're, to, we're to bring people into the fold, but it's not like we're not responsible to people any longer once they're in the church. Maybe you can think of someone right now in your life that is, uh, needs restored to the Lord. Who's going to do it? Well, maybe they'll just come to their senses if you ignore it long enough. What's the worst thing that could happen if you actually talk to them about it? I mean, can you run them off? They're already away from where they need to be. That's true. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-7, your boasting's not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. So whose job is it to uh, clean out the old leaven? Is God going to do that? If we pray hard enough, will God clean out the leaven? <laughs> he's, yeah, that's how he's, he's told us to do it, right? It's our responsibility. Our responsibility. <clears throat> Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and gossip about it to everybody in the congregation. Would you do it under the guise of a prayer request? <laughs> right? I've seen that before, right? Chris, I uh, just want you to be praying for Jake. There's an incident with a goat. <laughs> you know. And some guy, yeah, heard he was going down the aisle. Some <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, if your brother sins, you go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Who's won your brother? You. God's given the, the individual here the credit for this. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Okay, I know this isn't popular today. Um, I mean, this is a quick way to get you in one of those revolving door churches, okay? But um, 
you know, you, you can't ignore responsibility that, that has been placed on our shoulders to hold one another. And to be, you have to be accountable to one another. Right? You, you, you know, this isn't, this is a two-way street. Okay? And so in our attempt to just play the get-along game, who do we end up letting down? Those who are in sin, because they remain that way, right? Because if the church won't address it, I promise you the world's not going to bring it to their attention. But you're also letting God down who put that responsibility on our shoulders. And so uh, a priest, okay, like Phineas, you know, needs to have the, this importance of God's honor, needs to be a person of action, the desire to please God over people, a contender for the truth, speaking true instruction, walking with God, turning many back from iniquity, right? The, 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 the speech, the lifestyle uh, should encourage and lead people to repentance and righteousness. And so who we are at our core should encourage people to want to do the right thing. And of course, again, you know, the application of this is who is the priest today? Yeah, it's every Christian is a priest before God in his service, right? So that's, uh, that's important to, to keep in mind. All right, let's look in verse 7 here. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Okay, um, what does it mean to preserve something? Let's talk about preserve. Now I've got the definition on the sheet, but don't look at it. <laughs> so uh, what, what kind of things do we preserve? Where, how do we use that word today? Food, we preserve food. Anybody here do canning? We can some food. We've got a lot of canners here. Okay, anything else that we preserve? History, how do we preserve history? Museums, okay, very good. Our history today is changing, by the way, but we should be preserving our history. <laughs> uh, what, else do we, uh, what else do we preserve? Anything else? Okay, you can preserve a dead body, right? So... Yeah, that got dark quick, didn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay, so let's, okay, let's, let's, out of those, out of those ideas, let's stick with canning food. Okay? <laughs> so, when you're preserving food, <laughs> you, you, you put the food in the jar, right? You, you stock them in a pantry, and the idea is that you want to enjoy them at a later date. And if you open the can at a later date and it's covered in mold, what happened? you did it wrong okay something didn't work and so the idea is to be able to enjoy it later without it spoiling and so you know um so so you know here's uh here's the idea here the the word preserve you know uh pre meaning before in advance and serve which is where we get the idea to keep to guard right to protect and so it's to to uh to keep to guard and protect but you have to do this before it's in danger Okay, that's the idea of preserving something. And so, um, you know, to, to keep or defend it from corruption might be one way to look at it. Uh, to, to keep something protected from anything that would cause its current quality or condition to change or deteriorate, or I like this, or cause it to fall out of use. Okay? Uh, there's a lot of technology that didn't preserve well, right? It's fallen out of use. We don't, don't use certain things any longer. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, to preserve something is to, to maintain its use and uh, to keep it, uh, the quality or the condition of it from changing or deteriorating. So, have the priests in Malachi's day, have they preserved the knowledge of God? Okay, JR says no. Right? Yeah, is the law in, in temple worship, is it being treated the same in Malachi's day as it was when it was first delivered? 
Of course not. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, and we've mentioned several times that by the time we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, it's, it's really, it's unrecognizable from what it was in Exodus, right? From when we went through that tabernacle stat, study, what we see in the New Testament texts, you know, in the first century is, is I mean, it, it has deteriorated and been corrupted so much that it doesn't even look the same. Okay, and so, um, so that's, that's, that's worth thinking about. And then you think about this, or, or cause it to fall out of use. Okay, are, are they in danger of the temple and its service and the worship there of God coming to a point where it falls out of use? Yeah, what do we say in chapter 1, verse 10? God says, I'm looking for a volunteer, right? Someone to shut the gates because you're uselessly kindling fire on the altar. And so they've, it's, it's, they have not preserved the Word of God. They've not preserved the worship of God. They've not preserved uh, the service before God. They've not preserved any of these things. It's all been corrupted to the point uh, where it's deteriorated and it's falling out of use. Okay, and so that, I think that's pretty fair to say. Now, what about us? Okay, our job, you know, is not to invent new doctrine. Okay, I've, I've seen preachers that, you know, you'd think that they were out trying to be the Lewis and Clark of the Bible, always trying to come up with something new. Right, we're, we, we shouldn't be coming up with new doctrine. Okay, our job is not to come up with a new church. It's not to come up with a new way of doing things. What, what should we be doing? Yeah, we should be preserving what God gave us when the church started, right? That's, that's the idea. And so it's, it's, we, don't, we don't sift through the Bible to create something that fits our society. Uh, we, we don't find something that, you know, our job is to maintain the purity of the gospel message, the purity of the church that Jesus died for and established, right? That's what we are here for, which means every bit of it has to be preached. Every bit of it needs to be taught. Every pre bit of it needs to be enforced. Every bit of it needs to be put into practice. Now, what happens if we today fail to preserve the gospel, preserve the church? Then what happens? Falls out of use, okay? Well, I think we saw this a little bit with COVID, and I think I've mentioned that I get... I get confused what I've talked about and what I haven't talked about, so bear with me. Uh, but, you know, with COVID, we saw people giving up all the time, right? Churches just closed their doors. But we also saw individuals who, I think across the board, it's churches lost about 30% when they, everything got back to, to normal, okay, of what we were before 2020. And, you know, I'm really convinced that there's people that weren't really, uh, that, that had had some version of Christianity where they were coming to church and not really getting anything out of it. And then when they stopped going to church because things canceled and everyone's scared of the pandemic, they didn't, then they weren't missing anything. And nobody missed them. Yeah. On the other hand, I know Christians that, that, that were miserable for the fact that we need to be together. Like we need to assemble. We need to have fellowship. We desperate for that, you know. And and uh, and so it's it's interesting how you know two very different mindsets. But but that's what happens when something deteriorates to the point where it falls out of use. You just end up going through the motions of it. And so here's here's something to think about. Jude in chapter one verse three it was only one chapter, but beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. How many times is that faith going to be handed down? What if we lose it? Is it possible? Could we corrupt it? Could we lose it? Absolutely. It's happened before. 
right? Is God going to deliver it a second time because we were irresponsible with it? Because we didn't preserve it? And we didn't stand on it? Not going to happen. Delivered it one time for all people, right? Our job is to maintain it, right? To, to keep it His. To keep it the way it was when He delivered it to us, okay? And so, you know, we, we can't think that as long as there is a Bible out there that people will follow it because people with Bibles are all the time coming up with new ideas and new doctrines and new ways to not follow it. We have to do more than just keep, keep, keep Bibles out there. We have to have people who will stand up for the Bible, for the Word of God and stand on it. Without that, it's lost. It's absolutely lost. And so we need to take an active role. History shows us you deviate just a little bit today and that becomes a lot in the future. And so this is not just about us. We have to preserve it for us, but we also have to preserve it so that when we're gone, the church still exists, right? That the truth is still being proclaimed. And, and not, not that it would be completely wiped out, but it's, you know, the more the better, okay, for sure. The more truth, the better, right? The more congregations that stand on something, the better. Uh, the more Christians that don't buckle under pressure and compromise, the better. And so that's, that's something worth thinking about. I've got some notes in your thing um, about uh, the word preserve. Uh, the Hebrew word is there. There's some scriptures that that's used in. You can look that into that on your own there. It's kind of interesting how that word is used to preserve. Uh, you're going to find it in those scriptures. It's often translated to keep or to guard. Um, you know, those are, those are, those are, um, it's, it's a form of that word's also used with the watchman. Same idea, right? Now, um, you know, the problem with compromise, of course, is, you know, we've got the Word of God and the Word of God is telling us how to live and how to act and how to, how to uh, you know, go about our mission and how to serve God and live for God and how to, how to have the church going and, you know, everything about what we, what we are should come down the Word of God. And uh, the problem is as soon as we begin to deviate from that and compromise, it never feels like much. Okay, it always feels practical and, you know, well, this, this isn't that big of a deal. And, you know, that's how we justify that. But the longer it goes on, the further away it gets from where it should be, right? And so the, the problem is with compromise, and I've said this before, once you get the door open, you don't shut it. But is it easier to, to get back up here or when it's down here? Yeah, it's easier to deal with when it first starts than it is... 10 years later and, and it's gone so far that it doesn't, you know, that, that we're so far away from the truth again. And so, um, like I said, history shows us you deviate a little and it becomes a lot. And that's, uh, you know, that's not a good thing. All right, look at the progression here in Malachi 2.7. The lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. Okay, that's worth looking at. Okay, um, you, you start... Uh, speaking up about the truth, okay? Your lips should preserve knowledge, okay? Now you think of what that means, okay? That doesn't mean I just speak the truth. I stand for it. I defend it. I contend for it, right? Uh, I speak out when people are, are not being uh, tr uh, open and honest about the Scripture. I speak out when people are misquoting things. I, I correct things that, that I hear that are wrong, you know, even though it may not seem like a big deal. And I get that all the time. I get people, you know, say I'm, I'm you know, they'll say, well, you're being kind of a stickler over words. And I'll say, well, words matter. And the fact that you think I'm being a stickler over words is proof that 
you know, we don't think words matter anymore, okay? And so they, they end up kind of proving my point in the long run. But yeah, you know, if we preserve knowledge, it's not enough just to speak the truth. You have to stand for it, correct it, defend it, contend for it. That's the idea. We are in that arena and we all need to step up to the plate there. And so uh, we have to preserve knowledge. And as a byproduct of that, what's going to happen? Men should seek instruction from your mouth. Okay? What people will notice is that the truth matters, that you care more about the truth than, than your own popularity or other people's feelings. And they, they need to see that. You know, uh, we need to speak the truth with no regard to how it makes somebody feel or what people's opinions are. Uh, we, we just need to speak the truth. And when people understand that truth is important to you, not politics, not popular opinion, not being liked by everybody, right? But just truth matters. When they need help, who are they going to go to? They're going to they're look for the people that care about the truth. Okay? And so if you can preserve the knowledge of God by standing for it, contending for it, defending it, right? When people have legitimate biblical questions they're going to go to you. Okay? You need to be prepared for that. And then, of course, if you're preserving knowledge, where will you direct them? Yeah, I mean, Chris just sat here and told me about some guy you go talk for like an hour last week. Why? Because he kept directing them back to the Word of God. You know, I have people all the time ask me, well, Ethan, what, what, do, we, what do we believe about baptism? We don't believe anything about baptism. What does the Bible say about baptism? <laughs> you know? It's like they, they want me to just give them an answer, but they could have went to any preacher in any congregation and asked that same question, and they probably would have been happy with whatever answer they got. You have to have faith from the Word of God, right? Preserve knowledge, right, from the Word of God, and people will pay attention to that. So that's the byproduct of that, okay? And so, <clears throat> anyway, that's worth looking at. Okay, real quick here, almost done. Verses 8 and 9. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. So this is the contrast, right? In verses 6 and 7, God sets up, this is what I expect. This is the standard. This is how the priests in the beginning acted. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the in the instruction and so this is the contrast right in the past priests turned people away from sin now they're sending them right into sin right they're 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 directing them to go that direction okay it's because of their instruction right because of their instruction how many people are going to go to hell because they've been taught wrong i mean you see how important this is you know you can't be saved right and taught wrong Right? And so there's, there's masses of people that will spend an eternity in a godless hell because they were taught wrong. And the people with the lies seem to be more willing to talk about it than the people with the truth. And so you've caused many to stumble by the instruction. And then you've corrupted the covenant. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, so they, they, you know, the priests in the beginning, they spoke the truth and they walked with God, right? And they turned people back. Now what are they doing? They're going the wrong way and they're leading everybody down with them, okay? And it's not just that they're doing wrong. They're taking people with them. They're becoming a stumbling block to God's people. And, and you know, and we can see that power of influence here, right? I mean, when they were doing the right thing, the people went the right way. But when the priest went the wrong way, the people went the wrong way. You know, I, there's been... There's been people I've met in my life, uh, you know, uh, especially when they're, they're kind of isolated from, from solid biblical fellowship, pre- preachers even, uh, that, that, you know, you, all they need is a little bit of encouragement and to embolden them. And man, they can, they can really make a difference in staying on the Word of God. But when they're just constantly surrounded by people who've compromised, they, they get weak. They get weak and then they begin to compromise. And it's really a shame. And so you can see that, you know, the people you surround yourself with, right, have, have a, a, a lot to do with the direction that you're going. And so when the, when the people with influence went the wrong way, the people went the wrong way. With the people that had the influence stood strong, the people also stood strong. And so, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't take anything away from that, that power that you have with influence, okay? We infect one another, okay? And it goes both ways. Right, and so if you sit back thinking, well, you know, we've we've had some, you know, we've we've seen people being influenced negatively. You could be the reason that people are influenced positively. And I've I've seen I've seen a congregation um, back back. Uh, let's see, man, it's been a long time ago now. But uh, I'm trying to think when it was. I was probably 20 years old or so, and I was in a congregation over in Portsmouth, and we had a Bible study. We started with a lady, uh, and it was me and another guy in Bible college, and. We, we sat down, uh, I think at his house, had a Bible study and, uh, you know, ended up, ended up converting this lady. And then it was like, you know, she was, you know, she, she said, well, hey, I've got, uh, I think her sister. She's like, my sister really needs to hear this. And so we thought, well, that's great. Well, let's, let's have a Bible study with your sister too. And so we started with the sister and then, uh, and then it was, hey, my mom needs to hear this. And then it was, I've got a coworker that needs to hear this. And then, and, and anyway, from that one woman, okay, uh, ends up, I think we immersed like 27 people that year. And, and it, it all through one-on-one Bible studies, you know, we, we didn't invite the rest of the church to it. It was just, just these people and people they knew. And, you know, it took several weeks of really studying and they, they came to church and they were there and they were faith. But I think by the time the year was over, that one individual ended up being like 27 people. And it was because once that started happening, other people started thinking, that's not so hard. That's all there is to, I mean, I've got a family member that we can sit down and talk to, and then maybe they've got a coworker that, they, that they'd like to talk. You know, it's, it's, that's, how it, that's how it happened. You know, one person got that whole congregation fired up and excited about evangelism. And so maybe, maybe you could do that, right? I mean, we always hear that, you know, a bad apple ruins the bunch. What can a good apple do? I, I don't know that we've seen that. You know, I, I, uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, examples of that, right? And so, you know, if you feel like your congregation is stuck, maybe you can be the one that gets it moving. Don't, don't limit what, what your potential is here, guys. Uh, and so what God's trying to show here is he's trying to show the priests that they play a very important part of this. And we can't miss that, right? The priests are supposed to be holding the line. Now they've departed from that and they've compromised. And when we can't do that, we have to present the truth and stand on the truth no matter what. We have to hold that line no matter the cost. 
Um, but, but you realize that all throughout this, God's saying, look, look what the people did because of what the priests were doing or were not doing. And so, you know, I've been saying for years there, and I'm sure I didn't come up with this, uh, but it's, it means a lot to me, and I remind myself constantly that whatever is going on in this world, in our communities, good or bad, it's the church's fault. This is not a single entity in this world that has as much power and potential to make a change in this world than the church does with the gospel. And so if we want to complain about how horrible our culture is, that's our fault for not doing something. You know, when things start looking better, we can take the credit if we're actually out there doing something. But God is putting this on the priest. God's, it's not, God's saying, it's not me that's moving the people this way or that way. It's your influence, right? And so we, we have the potential to make a difference. And that's what we should be trying to do. Um, it's, it's, it's one thing for an individual just to decide, I'm not going to stand on the Word of God. But again, if you're going to do that, then go be an island somewhere. But I don't think you can. Okay? And so as soon as you start compromising the Word of God, you're going to take somebody down with you. That, that's how it works. There's the, you, your, your wife, your husband, your children, uh, your neighbor, uh, your preacher, who knows, you know, but, uh, you know, Matthew 23, 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves, Okay. Happens all the time. You get a guy who's compromised the Word of God and he starts teaching everyone and then, of course, convincing everyone else to compromise it too. I've seen it in the ministry. I've seen it in people's families. I've seen it among friends. You know, we have got to hold the line even when it's not popular. And so what God has done, He says that He's made them despised and abased before the people. You think the people have any respect for these priests? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They despise the Lord. They despise their service to the Lord. They despise the offerings and the sacrifices. They have no respect for God. Therefore, the people have no respect and no honor for them or their office. Okay? And God has made them despised and abased. Of course, we read earlier in this chapter where God's going to rub feces of their feasts on their faces and send them out of the camp. You don't get any less honorable than that. Right? But this is how God sees them right now. And that ought to, ought to strike something in us. What does God find valuable? Right? What are those characteristics, those attributes in our life that God is going to honor and respect and remember? It's not, it's not the cowards that won't stand up for the Word of God. Right? It's those who, who understand the honor of God in their life and fear God. Right? People who are going to be people of action, not just talk. Right? It's all these, all these things that we've been talking about here with these priests. <clears throat> And then he says that they show partiality in the, in the, in the, in the laws. And so, why? Well, they're, they're showing partiality in what they choose to pay attention to and what they choose to ignore, okay? And that, you, you see that that doesn't change, right? When we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even the, the New Testament letters there, we see it's still an issue with the Judaizers. What seems to be the things they really want to pick on? I mean, even Jesus brings up that they'll strain the gnat and swallow the camel, right? And so they're showing partiality, right, with the laws that are important to them. Circumcision would be one, you know, uh, you know those sorts of things. Um, but uh, Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice and judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And so they are showing partiality in who the law applies to, who it doesn't, 
what laws they're going to pay attention to. And so um, we need to be fair. And the first person that we need to be fair with when it comes to the Word of God is ourselves. Okay? So we're the, we are, the, you know, for sure. There's, no, there's nothing that we show more partiality with uh, in the Bible uh, as far as kind of cherry picking through than we do. We don't do anything with this more than we do with, with baptism. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, we put that up here on a pedestal and as long as you teach baptism that makes you a sound faithful preacher and uh, and you know you can compromise everything else and we will still put our stamp of approval on that right I mean we do it all the time we've made that our thing it's not our thing it's God's thing but so is everything else in the Bible and so we can't elevate that above the rest of the scriptures we can't say that that matters and the rest of it doesn't Um, my goodness we can't do that and so morally uh, doctrinally, we do it with baptism. Morally, uh, I'll end with this on a high note, I guess. We do it with sexual immorality. It's, it strikes me so odd that we'll stand up here and condemn homosexuality and then celebrate two people living together outside of marriage. How is the one any better than the other? Happy birthday, Jake. <laughs> Thanks, Ian.